Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. I I was thinking about what to call um, this uh, sermon tonight, and I feel I'm I'm excited about this. So if you're taking notes, you can write down this as the sermon title. I identify identify. as victorious. It is the month of June, so a lot of people talk about what they identify as, but our identity is found in Christ Jesus. And one thing that we find in Christ Jesus is victory. So I, man, that's what what we should do at Caris Christian Center during the month of June is study all the in Christ, in him, by him, through him scriptures. Our identity is found in Jesus, and Jesus is super victorious. So if you are in him, you are victorious, amen. I love what the Bible says in Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That means we are super victorious. That word more than conquerors, it's one word in the Greek. It's hyper nikau, like Nike, victory. Fisher, my son, loves playing sports. He's playing baseball now. He likes Nikes because... It's what you wear if you're more than a conqueror. It's the cool brand. We are hyper nikau. We are more super victorious. Amen? And when I was thinking about this title, um, we're actually at a game yesterday. Fisher was playing a baseball game. He's eight. So all these eight-year-olds are playing um, baseball. And we're we're sitting next to um, one of his best friends who lives in our neighborhood. Uh, This this kid is um, uh, a little bit wild. They're all wild, but he's especially wild. I, his dad is actually a pastor, um, but I don't think he's read Proverbs on how to raise his son at times. Uh, but anyways, so his son, um, and, and generally I don't, I don't talk politics with other, other families, um, but um, Fisher, Fisher, kids always talk politics. They, they like to know, how did your parents vote? So I, I know how all of Fisher's friends' parents voted, and I know they didn't vote the same way that I voted, even though he's also a pastor. So, um, but we, we love them, and uh, one reason why I love them is because I discovered that they have a sense of humor. If someone has a sense of humor and can take a joke, then, then we, can, we can have a relationship and we can converse and we can get along and be friends. But if you have no sense of humor and fall apart over something as simple as a little, innocent, funny joke, then um, anyways, the relationship is over. I, I like to be around people who can, who can laugh a little. So anyways, their son hit the ball. Fisher and, and his friend, they're very competitive, and their son is up to bat. Um, his dad is also very competitive. He was yelling at the other team and that type of thing, at the coaches, and saying that they were cheating. They're supposed to throw overhand, but the coach was pitching underhand, which is a violation of the rules, and he kept doing it anyways. And um, so this other dad was pretty upset, and he said, well, maybe I should just pray the serenity prayer. And that, that prayer is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And I just kind of laughed, and I said, well, I, I pray the, the violent prayer. I say, in the realm of the Spirit, help me get violent. You know, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. So spiritually, I want to be super violent. Help me be super violent in the realm of the Spirit and kick the devil's butt. I don't know what prayer that is. It's not, probably not the serenity prayer. 
But anyways, his son hit the ball and, and uh, hit a little grounder and was running at first base. They actually threw it there before he got there, so he was out. But he did not want to go back to the dugout. He wanted to stay on that base. And I, I kind of laughed and I made a joke. And this is why I know I can be friends with, with this family because I made a joke and I said, well, he must be identifying as safe. And they laughed. <laughs> Even though they may be different politically than I am, they could laugh at my political humor. <laughs> and uh, as believers, we should identify as victorious. Yay. We shouldn't want to be thrown out of the game. We want to play. We, we, are, we are more than conquerors. We are super victorious. We should be identifying all the time as victorious, especially if you find your identity in Jesus. Let's look at Romans 8, 31. I want to read this whole passage in context. Romans 8, 31. I'm glad there's some people here who can laugh a little. You'll, well, you'll find out at this church if you... We, we like to joke. You know, um, when um, Biden was being inaugurated, there was a picture that went viral of Bernie Sanders. He had his blue mask on and like big coat and these mittens that were like handmade for him and he's sitting on a little chair just hunched over, scowling. And um, like people took that, cut him out and put him in different scenarios. Anyways, we had a baptism night. So we, we had a picture of pa Pastor Lawson baptizing Bernie Sanders. <laughs> And I sent it to my brother Andrew, because he likes political humor, and he thought it was hilarious. And um, he said, well, when Pastor Lawson baptizes you, you, you come out Republican. And, uh, <laughs> Amen. Which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> if you are highly offended, just, just turn off the computer right now. Just... <laughs> It's, it's going to get worse, yeah. <laughs> All right, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. You need to rem remember that when maybe you're under attack. Is God on your side? Has God come through for you before? Are you on his side? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I looked this up in the Greek, that word to make intercession for. Jesus himself makes intercession for us. That means to jump down in the pit with you. That means if you're going through a valley, that means that Jesus comes down in that valley. He jumps down in that pit with you and helps you get out of it. He makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? All those things, I kind of love all those things. I categorize all those things in verse 35 as things that happen in the natural realm, things that happen in the physical realm. And these are things that can happen to your physical body, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. 
as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors. We are super victorious through him who loved us. In verse 38, he talks about spiritual things. So no physical thing can separate you from the love of God. No spiritual thing. Uh, in heaven or earth can separate us, can, can defeat us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are victorious over everything in the natural realm, in the spiritual realm. Nothing can defeat us. If God be for us, who can be against us? If he gave you Jesus there is nothing that he there is nothing that can defeat you so stop identifying as a victim start seeing yourself in Jesus Christ in the love that he has for you in the blood that was shed for you and, and identify as victorious you know someone once asked me several years ago you know why why does pastor Lawson always preach you know just Victory. You know, people are going through stuff, and we should sing songs like, I'm so confused. <laughs> we, should, we should just tap into that emotional reality. That's how you minister to people. And that's trash. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about Hezekiah here in a minute. But Hezekiah, one thing he did, he... he he told the priest to take out the trash. <laughs> Pastor Barbara had a word that we need to take out the trash on Sunday. Hezekiah told the priest, hey, go into the temple and take out the rubbish. Take out the trash. Amen? We are super victorious. I remember when I was a kid, I, I, I loved sports. I wasn't, the, I wasn't the greatest athlete. I'm a little small. I ended up being more super victorious in flute playing than in football. But I loved football. I wanted to be super victorious. I remember when I started in, in the sixth grade, uh, Kit Carson, six-man, 1A football. I was so excited. The first day I got my pads, I got my helmet, shoulder pads, leg pads. I was so excited. I brought them home. Uh, I gave, me and my brothers wanted to play with all these pads because I was like, I was the real deal now. I had a helmet and everything. The Kit Carson Wildcats, purple and gold. And my purple and gold helmet, and uh, anyways, so we, we, we divided up the pads, and we, we played in the backyard, so I'm sixth grade, I got, I got the shoulder pads, Andrew's fourth grade, he got the helmet, and, and Peter, second grader, just got the leg pads. <laughs> anyways, he, he kind of got creamed, he wasn't as protected as the others, but, but Peter actually grew up to be a really good football player, he actually went to Princeton, through a football scholarship. I mean, he became a very football, good football player, so I, I um, taught him everything that he knows, and he owes all of his success in life to me. But I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was like picturing what football would be like, and I, I thought like, this is gonna be so great, I'm gonna be a hyper kneecow, super victorious, more than a conqueror kind of football player, and I just like imagine every time I'd score a touchdown and what kind of end zone dance I would do. And then I realized that I don't, I think I maybe scored one touchdown in like my entire three-year stint as a football player. 
And um, you're not allowed to do an end zone dance, unfortunately, not unless you're in the pros. I don't think you can do it in junior high, high school, college. Once you're in the pros, you can show off and do an end zone dance. But I have good news for you. If you are a Christian, when can you do an end zone dance? When can you celebrate victory? You can do it whenever you want because the Bible says, when are you victorious? Always, 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, now thanks to be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I like what the NIV says here in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Christ is always doing a victory dance. And he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You can dance, you can do a celebration dance whenever you want because your victory is in Christ Jesus. So can you even do an end zone dance when you're in a battle? Yes, you can. And in life, you will face battles. But I have good news for you. God knows how to fight battles. And if he's on your side, you're on the right side. Amen. And one thing I like about God, you know, the way the enemy fights battles, I, I realize the devil is really stupid. He, he has no new tricks. His playbook is written down right here. He comes up with no new plays. Nothing is new under the sun for him. And people fall for, for the, the same play. Every, just, he just throws these Hail Marys every time. Just, will they get offended? Will they get offended? Will they get offended? And people just like, don't get offended. He's going to play the offense play, you know? Set up some defense. But God, the way he fights battles, he's more creative. And he, he, he surprises me sometimes in how he brings about his promises. He does it in ways I don't expect and I think it's because he knows how to fake out the devil. Maybe the devil's trying to stop you from being healed. Maybe the devil's trying to stop you from meeting your, your, your spouse. Maybe the devil is trying to stop you from being blessed. God can do things in unique ways. He, he has trick plays up his sleeve. So just trust him. He knows how to use surprise attacks, amen? So when you're facing a challenge, this is, I want to talk about Hezekiah here in a minute. But this is a great point. I, got, I want all of y'all who are writing notes down to write this down. When you're facing a battle, keep your mouth shut until God speaks. So background to Hezekiah. Hezekiah's name means Yah is my strength. For generations before him, the kings of Judah were very wicked, but it says he was one of those kings, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 2, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You know, when you read through 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, there's a lot of kings that do what was wrong. And they worship the Baals, and they, they sacrifice children to you know, Ashtoreth, but he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David had done. He restored worship at the temple. Um, in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 5, he told the Levites, the priests, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Take out the trash. 
I love that. He told him to take out the trash. And I don't think that was just a physical thing. I think that was a prophetic thing. He was telling those Levites, take out the trash from the holy place. I like something else that Hezekiah did, especially as a musician. He brought the band back. You know, people got kind of religious. They, 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 they wanted things to get quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter until there were no instruments at all. And we asked our, our pastor friend, the father of our, our son's friend, you know, because he knows a lot about denominational practices. You know, why, why do some denominations don't, you know, use instruments in church? And he said, well, they take a very literal approach to, you know, interpreting scripture. And you don't, you know, see instruments in the New Testament. I'm like, well, when the trump sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. So I guess they're going to arise because they don't have a trumpet in their church. They don't have much sound going on. There's trumpets in the New Testament. There are going to be trumpets in heaven. There are gonna, there's going to be some loud noise. There's going to be some joyful noise. Amen. Hezekiah brought the band back. Second Chronicles 29 verse 27. Hezekiah commanded them to offer burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. I love that he said they, they played the song of the Lord. Woo. Do you think that's a whiny song? Or do you think that's a victorious song? We need to sing songs of the Lord. Yay. That's my theology on praise and worship in church. It needs to be songs of the Lord. Not songs of what you think or what you feel or songs of, I love that, songs of the Lord. Amen. And, and good things were happening for Hezekiah when, when you... You know, when, you, when God is on your side, great things happen. Uh, this, it says this in 2 Kings 18, verse 6 and 7. It said that he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, whose name was Sennacherib, and did not serve him. This was a tyrant. Man, when you, when you are really following God, tyrannical behavior just doesn't sit right with you. God loves freedom. So he was following God. When you follow God, it will cause you to prosper. It will cause you to be successful. Yet he was still attacked. So one thing I know about this attack from, from watching how Hezekiah handled this, this um, drastic situation is um, keep your mouth shut until God speaks. This is a great, it's a great word for someone tonight. So the Syrian king was taking over um, a lot of that territory, a lot of the world. He was setting up his empire. He wanted, he had already um, enslaved the Israelites. Now he's coming after Judah. He's taking, you know, cities in Judah. Now he, he wants to take the, the crown jewel of Judah, Jerusalem. And he sends his governor, the chief governor, who's named Rabshakeh, to go to Hezekiah, to go to Jerusalem and, and make them a deal. And uh, when, when, when this um, governor shows up, he starts trash-talking um, the people of Jerusalem. So let's read about that. Let's read in 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18 starting in verse 19. 
Now, sometimes it's okay to trash talk back. Sometimes it's better not to respond at all. Sometimes it's better just to send a stream of emojis at people. Sometimes it's... <laughs> but here, here Hezekiah actually instructed the people not to do anything at all. Don't, don't even open your mouth. Just keep your mouth shut until God speaks, which was actually really good advice. The so Second Kings 18... Starting in verse 19. So it says, Then Rabshakeh, so he is the, the chief governor for the Assyrians, said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses. So he's making a, a deal. Like, if you pledge to just let us take over, we'll give you 2,000 horses. And he kind of makes a joke. He said, if you are able on your part to put riders on them. So he's saying, you guys aren't even able to, to ride horses or to, to recruit people to ride these horses. Verse 24, how then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So he's just completely mocking them, completely um, trying to humiliate them. Um, and, and not only that, he, he, he um, goes closer to where the people are gathered on the wall there of Jerusalem, and he starts yelling at them in Hebrew. So this Assyrian governor knew, knew the native language there in Jerusalem. He knew Hebrew, and he wanted to really intimidate everyone there in Jerusalem. So he starts yelling at them in verse 28 in Hebrew, um, the, the delegates um, for for. For King Hezekiah asked him not to speak in Hebrew, just speak to us, but he just starts yelling at the entire assembly there in Hebrew, just humiliating them, saying, don't trust in Hezekiah, don't trust in the Lord, trust me, I'll take care of you, I'll let you be free, I'll let you drink from your own cistern, I'll let you, you know, eat from your own land, um, then eventually we'll just take you somewhere better. It doesn't sound like a great plan to me. Um, but this is really key here. 2 Kings 18, verse 36. Verse 36, it said, The people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Again, keep your mouth shut until you know what God has to say. Then whatever God says, you can begin to speak that. So, Hezekiah wanted to know what God had to say about this situation. He wanted to know what is the word of the Lord before anyone here in Jerusalem says anything, before I say anything, I want to know what Lord God Almighty has to say about this situation. So he goes to the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah has a word. It sounds something like this, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
Isaiah has this word. We can read it in 2 Kings 19, starting in verse 20. We'll just read a few verses here. So Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The, the, ver, the, the daughter of God, the, the city of, the, the, we are now the daughter of God. We, we are the bride of Christ. It said, you have, you have all, this is past tense, you have laughed him to scorn. It's important to laugh. It's important to laugh in the Holy Ghost. You might not know what you're laughing about. It might be a battle that's in the future. Isaiah's saying, you have already laughed about this situation. You've already laughed this Assyrian king, this Assyrian governor, this Assyrian army. You've already laughed them to scorn. Ha, ha, ha. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind her back. Whom you have reproached and blasphemed against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel. God was personally offended by what was going on. We don't need to take offense. We don't need to make things just. We don't need to make things right. But God can get offended. God can make things just. God can make things right. God doesn't let things slide. He tells us to turn the other cheek because he doesn't want us to fight back. He doesn't want us to slap back because when he slaps back, he slaps back a lot harder and a lot more accurate than we do. Our God is not a weak God. Jesus is not a weak man. He is not a weak God. He is not a weak Lord. He is powerful. His glory he will not give to another. So what did God do about it? God knows how to fight battles. They they were expecting Israel to to make an appeal to Egypt. The Syrian army is from the north. They expected Israel to to make an appeal to Egypt, saying, hey, this is Syrian army. They're coming further south. They took Israel. They're taking Judah. They're going to keep coming down south to you guys. Pharaoh, you better come help us out. They got horses. They got chariots. Hey, the Egyptians, you guys have horses. Come help. They they were expecting something logical. They're expecting Hezekiah to, to make an appeal to Pharaoh to come help them out. But God just had a a complete surprise attack here. He just sent one angel. One, my dad mentioned angelic warfare. When Jesus comes again, he's not going to be turning the other cheek. Why Why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations plot a vain thing? There are some prophecies, Old Testament, New Testament, about what Jesus is going to do when he comes back again. He's going to come back with an angel army. Two-thirds. And I think some of us saints get to help out, too. I hope I get to carry a sword. <laughs> or something, I don't know. My flute. <laughs> some angelic flute playing, some spiritual play the flute and it makes people's heads explode or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
angelic flute playing. Just one, one angel of the Lord. And one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. God's got more than one angel at his disposal. You actually have angels protecting you right now. He gives his angels, plural, charge over you to protect you and to keep you in all your ways. Isn't that beautiful? So don't speak defeat. Don't speak, identify as a victim. If one angel can wipe out 185,000 Assyrians, God, God, just keep your mouth shut. Unless God speaks and you can speak what God says about that situation. Amen. Second Kings 19, let's read about this in verse 35. So it says, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Syrians 185,000. And when people arose in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. And God, God actually, um, I think, I think he, he took personal what Sennacherib was saying about him. And I think God took it personal because just how this, this particular situation came out. So it says, when it came to pass as this king of Assyria was worshiping in the temple of Nishrash, his God, just by coincidence, as he's worshiping, you know, his, his idol, that his sons... His two sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Asharadon, his son, reigned in his place. You know, I, I, was, I was reading uh, several weeks ago about um, Elijah and just, um, just all the crazy things that were going on in Israel when he was alive. King Ahab, Jezebel, all this Baal worship going on. And um, people were torn between two ways of thinking. Are, are we going to worship Baal? Or are we going to worship you know, the Lord God? Who are we going to worship? And, and Elijah just drew a line in the sand. He said, the, the, we've been, the, this is enough. This is enough. There is one true God. We're going to find out who the one true God is. And this is what he said. He said that the one true God will answer by fire. Your name is power, your breakthrough like a fire. The name of Jesus will break through like a fire. The name of Jesus is not a weak name. The name of Jesus is a powerful name. It's, it's the most powerful name in the universe. The Bible says that every knee Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. There, there is power in his name. The real God always answers with power. And people, people try to take the power out of, out of the gospel. You can't take the power out of the gospel. That, that is not the gospel. That is not good news. A powerless gospel is not good news. It's rubbish. We need the power of God. Enough is enough. God is going to show up and he's going to prove himself true. He's going to confirm his word with signs following. Amen. So God, God showed up in a powerful way. 
I want to read about another battle. You know, there are, there are battles that we face in life, and every battle is different. I, I especially love this battle about Hezekiah, because I just like that he's told everyone to keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. But sometimes, you know, you might have to get involved and get your hands a little dirty and go out and fight. Like I said, sometimes the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Sometimes God wants you to be spiritually violent. Actually, don't condone violence unless you are protecting yourself and your family. But spiritually speaking, I I condone violence. I can condone kicking the devil's butt, making demons squeal and squirm, and destroying all the works of the devil. Jesus was very spiritually violent. He defeated the devil at every chance, all the works of the devil, which were, were sickness, disease, oppression. So I want to read about Um, the first battle that the Israelites had to face on their way to the promised land. So kind of like the the battle that Hezekiah faced, they didn't really have to do anything, just the angel of the Lord smote everyone. Israel, when when they left Egypt, they didn't have to do anything at first. God just opened up the Red Sea. They crossed. God closed the Red Sea on Pharaoh and his army and wiped out the most powerful army in the world in an instant. They didn't have to do anything. But, but, just a, a few weeks into their journey, they had to start fighting with their own hands. But God was still on their side. That's what they had to remember. And they had to remember who God was, and they had to identify with who God said he was. And God revealed himself as victorious. He said, I am Jehovah Nisi. I am Yahweh Nisi. I am the Lord, your banner. I am the Lord, your victory. So if God is fighting with you, you will be victorious. And God is always victorious. His very name means victory. You know, and it, you know, I don't know why people try to fight against God. Since Lucifer, people have been trying to fight against God since the beginning of time, and they always lose. You know, Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory. I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. You know, Lucifer wanted God's glory for himself. He lost. He's a loser. He's still losing today. And if you have Jesus on the inside of you, he, he is under your feet. That, that is the gospel truth. Satan has no power. You are crushing him right now under your feet through Jesus. You know, Jesus talked about, about this first instance of someone trying to fight against God. Jesus was there to witness it. He was right there at the 50-yard line, got to watch it all in slow-mo. Lucifer just said, hey, everyone, let's just make this worship about me. Rather than glorify thy name, glorify my name. It didn't go so well for him. Jesus said this, Luke 10, verse 18 and 19, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
You can't take his glory. You can't take away his power. You can't make up your own truth. God's truth is truth, period. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You cannot beat God. And if you can't beat him, join him. It's better when you're on his side. So let's go to Exodus 17, verse 8. Exodus 17, verse 8. So this is the first um, battle that the Israelites have to actively fight. Their, Their hands have to get a little bit dirty. So it says, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Who is Esau? He was a brother of Jacob. Esau had a grudge against Jacob because Jacob um, stole the birthright, got the blessing. So for, for literally hundreds and hundreds of years, the descendants of Esau were waiting to get back at the descendants of Jacob. So I thought, here is our chance. They're weak. They're, they're, they're in the desert. They don't know where they're going. Let's go just smack them out right now. Moses said to Joshua, this is the first time Joshua is mentioned in Scripture, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. So Joshua now becomes the commander of the newly formed army of Israel. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. He's, he's going to hold up God's, that rod of power. I'm going to hold it at the top of the hill. Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. This is a battle that they had to actively hold up their hand. They had to actively participate in with God's power. Some battles are different than other battles. Verse 12, Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. God is telling Moses, I want you to start training Joshua mentally in his soul to to know that he is a person of victory. He won that battle. There might be other battles, but he is going to win them. You need to recount victory. The devil wants you to recount defeat. He wants you to recount sin. He wants you to recount failure. God wants you to recount victory. Identify with victory. Recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. He's saying you're going to have to fight against Amalek again. The Israelites had a fight against Amalek several times. There are several kings, several judges that all had a fight against the Amalekites, but God eventually performed his promise. Amalek was completely wiped out. There is not a single descendant of Amalek on the face of the earth today. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
God's very name means victory. That name, Jehovah Nisi, it means the Lord, our banner, the Lord, our victory. Back then when people thought that they didn't have you know, radios to communicate with each other, they, the, the way they communicate with their army was what, by raising a flag. If you, if you wanted to raise a flag, that means you'd come together and rally at that point. So he's saying, hey, this God's name, the name Yah, the name Yahweh, the name Jehovah, he is our victory. He is our rallying point. We come together and fight from a position of victory because we are in a position in, in the one true God. He is our victory. When, when God is on your side, you are always victorious. Amen? And this is my last point. In Christ, you are always victorious. You know, this, this word, um, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my, my banner. The, the, the noun there for banner or flag is nas. And um, most Hebrew words in the Old Testament come, um, stem from verbs. Verbs are very important in the Hebrew language. Even God's name, Yahweh, comes from a verb, haya, which means to be. Pretty much, uh, like, verbs, Hebrew is a very active language. Uh, the, the verbs are the roots. So when I, when I learned biblical Hebrew, I would study the verbs, because if you know the verbs, you're going to be able to figure out what the, the nouns are, the other words are. So you study the verb roots. And, and, um, and the cool thing about Old Testament um, Hebrew is that there's just one source for that for that. Language, it's, it's the Old Testament. If you study ancient Greek, there, there are many, you know, ancient Greek writings. But, but if you're studying biblical Hebrew, there is only one source for words, and that is the, the Old Testament. So if, if there is not a verb root in, in the Old Testament, it's not in the dictionary. But there, there is one time mentioned in Scripture where there is a verb root for the word flag. And Hebrew verbs are, are, are three letters long, so it's nasas. And it's found one time in Scripture, and it's, it's a prophecy, prophecy of the Messiah. It's a messianic prophecy found in Zechariah. So let's go there. This is super cool. Zechariah 9, we'll start in verse 14. I love the book of Zechariah. There are more messianic prophecies in Zechariah than any other book in the Old Testament. And this is a prophecy that has to do with you as well. How many love it when you see a prophecy about you in the Bible? So I can prove to you from Messianic prophecy that you are victorious. Get ready. Zechariah 9, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go, go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet. There are, there are trumpets being blown in the New Testament, I believe. And he will go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. That sounded like a camp meeting right there. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord, their God, will save them in that day. Who is them? So this is a prophecy about Jesus and a prophecy about those who have been saved. As a flock of his people, we just learned in John 10, 
that Jesus is the shepherd. We are his sheep, right? We are the flock of his people. They shall be like the jewels of a crown. Who, who is they? You. Say, I'm like a jewel of this crown. Lifted like a banner. They're lifted like a banner. Those four words, lifted like a banner, it's one word. It's nisos. We are lifted like a banner over his head. Over who? Over, over his land. For how great is its goodness and how great is its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine the young men. So if you believe this is about Jesus and if you believe this is about you, he's saying that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, is gonna lift you, nasas you. The, the, the great I am, the great Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, he is gonna lift you up like a banner, nasas, and put you like a jewel in his crown. Who wears the crown today? Who wears the victor's crown today? Jesus is wearing the victor's crown today. Has he lost that victor's crown? He is still wearing it. Where are you, spiritually speaking, in Christ Jesus? You are a part of his victory. And as long as Jesus wears the victor's crown, you are victorious. Do you think Jesus is going to lose that victor's crown? Jesus has never lost a single battle in his life. Even as a kid, I don't even think he ever lost the game of Monopoly. I'd hate to be playing against Jesus as a kid. He probably just won everything all the time. Jesus is the undefeated champion of the universe. He defeated sin. He defeated sickness. He defeated lack. He defeated the devil. And because he lives in me, because I identify with Jesus, I proclaim that I am victorious. I identify as victorious. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.